When you're in a nine to five job or eight to six or seven to nine or six to 11, whatever your hours are, you have certain ideas and beliefs about what it means to be an entrepreneur and start your own business. Some are true, some are partly true, and others are just urban myths. So when you think about escaping to becoming your own boss, it can be hard to work out what's true and what's just your fears talking. In this episode, I'm exploring and debunking five myths about being a business owner that I believed and had to overcome before I pursued my passion to move away from my day job to working doing what I love. If you are thinking about making a move from your office job to becoming a CEO of your own business, then this episode is just for you. Are you ready for some myth busting? Then let's get started. I'm Nicola O'Hara, and I made the leap from a successful corporate career as a leader in learning, development and recruitment to launch my dream business and haven't looked back. Every week, we'll bring you step-by-step strategies, essential knowledge and tools, and share inspirational stories and practical tips so you are ready to take your leap to a career and life you love. This is the Powering Your Passion podcast. Hey, and welcome to another Powering Your Passion episode which is about some of the myths there are about leaving a nine-to-five job to go alone and being an entrepreneur. So when I was first thinking about escaping the rat race to start to pursue my passion and begin my own business, there were a lot of things I'd heard about being an entrepreneur that held me back for quite a while while, while I was making my move. You hear things all the time when you're an employee In fact, entrepreneurs and small business owners, anyone who is their own boss, seems like a different breed. They were these people who were different. You felt they had some magical power to enable them to think of ideas and create businesses to go alone. I convinced myself that I just needed to do a few more years in the corporate world before I'd be ready to take on the challenge. Not because I really needed that, but because I'd been brainwashed into believing that I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't exciting enough. I didn't have a new crazy product idea or, or out of the world idea that would revolutionise the world. In fact, I couldn't think of anything particularly original. I was worried about the big risk of taking on a business and how I would lose my consistency of income and stability. I also thought being a social person, how would I cope with it being just on my own, just me, certainly at the beginning? And not being from a sales or marketing background, how was I going to convince people to be interested in what I had to say? What about finances? I'm not an accountant, so how would that work? I didn't even know where to start, even if I could convince myself I could be an entrepreneur. It all seemed so big, like a mountain too steep to climb. Then I watched a famous TED talk from Wharton professor Adam Grant called The Surprising Habits of Original Thinkers. In it, he talked about how the most successful business ideas are not those so-called original or first-to-market ideas, but those businesses improving on an idea, making it better. He cited a comprehensive business study that said 47% of first-mover companies would fail in their early years compared to only 8% of so-called improvers. His examples included Facebook and Google, dominant startups that came years after their predecessors. 
Any of you remember early mover start engines like Excite or social networks like MySpace and Friends Reunited? No? Well, they've long gone. As Grant said, you don't have to be first, you just have to be different and better. And it got me thinking about what other beliefs I'd let influence me that were not true. Slowly, I managed to unpick all the years of subliminal messaging that made me think it was other people who became entrepreneurs. Other people who were born with that special gift. Other people who were confident and resilient enough to pursue their passion away from the world of an employee. And I was able to plan and action my escape to freedom and go into the new world of entrepreneurship. Now I've been here a while, I have my own opinions on some of these myths I used to believe. And I want to share with you, just in case some of them are your beliefs too, and they're holding you back from what you want in life. Okay, so let's dive straight into them. The first myth is you need to be of a certain type of personality to be an entrepreneur. I definitely believed this myth for a long time and had well entrenched beliefs about what it meant to be an entrepreneur. So let's start with what an entrepreneur actually is. Well, the word entrepreneur originates from a 13th century French verb, entreprendre, meaning to do something or to undertake. And by the 16th century, the noun form entrepreneur was being used to refer to someone who undertakes a business venture. Wikipedia describes entrepreneur as an individual who creates and or invests in one or more businesses, bearing most of the risks and and enjoying most of the rewards. So pretty straightforward, right? But there is this idea that entrepreneurs are somehow different, some kind of special person that we couldn't hope to emulate. That you have to be someone that's born super creative, an original thinker, a risk taker, who can think in a different way to most people and have boundless confidence and energy. People like Elon Musk or Richard Branson, who planned crazy schemes and challenges, or young startup leaders like Mark Zuckerberg, Stephen Bartlett, and the late Jamal Edwards, who managed to make a lot of money young because they hit on a gap in the market or the new greatest thing. And look, that type may describe many entrepreneurs. But just like successful leaders, there are a lot of successful entrepreneurs who have very different traits, who you don't hear of because they're not in the press or viral on social media, are those entrepreneurs who are quietly going about their business, making money, doing what they love. There are 582 million entrepreneurs in the world. 274 million of those are female. So I'm guessing they can't all be the same personality type. And you may think that entrepreneurs all start early, but according to 2018 research published in Harvard Business Review, the average age at which successful founders start their company is 45. The HBR report also found that entrepreneurs with at least three years of prior work experience in the same industry as their startup were 85% more likely to succeed. So experience gained in the nine to five world is of benefit to you. But what about the billionaires? Well, according to the book, Super Founders, What Data Reveals About Billion Dollar Startups, the median age at which founders start their billion dollar business is 34. So a little bit younger than the the average normal entrepreneur. The book's author, Ali Tamaseb, said some founders were as young as 18 and others as old as 68 when they started their companies. So in terms of being an entrepreneur, age really is just a number. So you get what I'm saying here. Although some people may have an advantage by naturally having certain skills or traits, anyone can become an entrepreneur. It's not some secret club. 
A lot of the skills needed needed can be learned and different traits can help or hinder in different ways. In my view, although you don't need to be a certain personality type, to start your own business and join the world of entrepreneurship, there is one thing that is needed. And it all really comes down to mindset. It's positivity and resilience and your attitude. If you believe and tell yourself you're not an entrepreneur, you don't have the traits or too old or too young, then you won't be one. You really have to back yourself, believe in your abilities and strengths. You have to be positive in your thinking and you have to be super passionate about what you want to do. And finally, your mind also needs to be open to ideas, possibilities, variety and change. So myth number two, leaving employment to having your own business is scarily risky. This is one of the biggest beliefs that hold me back for a long while. The thought that having a business is a huge risk, far riskier than staying in a job. It turned into this big, scary thing for me. And look, I'm not going to tell you that starting and running a business doesn't carry some risk. Of course it does. Nothing that's worth having doesn't come with some kind of leap of faith. However, what I learned was that if you plan ahead, you can make sure you're protected. So you probably heard of the term, hedge your bets. Well, that's what you need to do. Hedging is actually a risk management strategy used to offset potential losses in investments by taking an opposite position in a related asset. So for example, if you buy risky shares in one company, you may also buy shares in a different company, which has less risk, just in case the risky shares plummet. The reduction in risk you get by hedging typically can mean a reduction in potential profits. Plus to hedge, you might need to pay some money for the protection it provides, which is known as the premium. So in the context of starting a business, if you take a risk to escape your day job and become your own boss, you need to protect that risk by preparing and balancing it with other protections like having a strong, well-thought-out strategy, by making sure you have your finances looking healthy from the start, by having another type of income ready to go or already in place, And by taking your time to experiment and make sure that your idea, your passion is strong enough for it to be a success. And yes, that can take time. You can't just race off, quit your job and leap into being an entrepreneur on a whim. The premium that you pay to hedge your risk is that time and energy it will take you to make sure you're in the best place possible to start a business. That big scary risk then looks far more manageable and not as much more than you may have as an employee. The fact is, now more than ever, being an unemployee is not as stable as it was in the past. Even as an employee, you need to be aware that things can go wrong, which can affect your employment, like the 2008 financial crash, Brexit, changing political situations, and the COVID pandemic. And although you do have some extra protections through employment law, even those in full-time jobs are now considering backup options. Gone are the days of 30 or 40 years working with the same company, which I have to say sounds to me super boring. The reality is, in most cases, if you want to progress and climb the corporate ladder, you need to move companies. In my experience, in 20 years working in HR and recruitment and development, people step up far quicker and gain much better financial reward, moving every two to three years earlier on in your career, maybe every four to five years later on in your career. If you stay in one company too long, you risk having a salary out of line with the market and will have not progressed as fast as your external peers. 
then it's virtually impossible to catch up on the salary level you should have been on. So moving to a new role every few years carries its own risk as you need to make sure you're making the right choices. As an employee, you're always reliant on things out of your control. Hiring managers, your manager, company strategy, the external market, political and social events. Whereas when you're working for yourself, you are the one in control. Yes, for sure, external influences affect small business owners too. Of course they do. But you can decide how to react and you can decide how you'll deal with it. Ultimately, you need to weigh up the risk versus the benefit and how much you can protect yourself. On the face of it, the simplest way to limit any kind of risk is to stay as an employee in an operational role in a big company, not mind about progression, do one thing really well and become indispensable and stay there for all your career, forever. And there are many people who do just that, are very happy doing just that. But I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're looking for more. You want to have meaningful work and to make a difference. Ultimately, when you're an entrepreneur, you take on the risk of a venture and get most of the reward. The taxman also gets some. But as an employee, yes, you have less risk, but you also get less reward. You spend your time making money for others and building somebody else's dream. You need to decide if you want to take a calculated hedge risk to gain greater reward. And what I'm talking about reward, I'm not just talking about money, but freedom, balance and fulfillment, whatever actually is meaningful to you. Or remain safe, but limited as an employee. Okay, myth number three. You need to stay an employee to make consistent income. So one thing I hear all the time from aspiring entrepreneurs deciding whether to lead the rat race or not is that they're concerned about stability and consistency of income. And of course, I was too. Being in a salary job, getting that monthly income, having those additional benefits, and if you're lucky, getting that annual bonus is fantastic. You always know where you are, what you have, and what you could, could have in the future. So you can plan, you can relax. But it's not so great if in exchange for all that, you are frustrated, unfulfilled, stressed or unhappy and just not living the life you'd imagined. But you have to ask yourself, is that consistency, that stability worth it? So what about having a business? How can you have consistency of income? And look, I'm not going to pretend that it's consistent from the beginning. And the very nature of business is that you have peaks and troughs and you learn to manage your money in a different way. Actually, as an entrepreneur, you look at a lot of things in a different way, but that's a whole other episode. But it is possible to create some consistency. And not only that, you can make profit as well. The secret four words, multiple streams of income. If you have a variety of ways in bringing in revenue, you avoid the feast or famine state that can happen when you have one product or service. This can also be applied to your day job. As we saw over the pandemic, jobs that had previously been secure suddenly disappeared. So having a backup business or freelancing skill could be worth having whether you leave your job to start a business or not. So these streams of income can be part of your business like multiple products or services, or you can keep your hand in on what you specialise in during your day job and contract or consult on it. For example, I have a side business consulting in recruitment for small businesses, which, although isn't my passion, is something I have a huge amount of experience in and can share it with others and make an additional stream of income from. Look at it this way. As an employee, you have consistency, but you always have a ceiling. Even if you're the CEO at the top of your game and you make millions, in the job there is a limit. 
And let's face it, getting to the top to be a CEO of a large organization is achieved by relatively few people. As an employee, you also have people ahead of you and your ability to progress rests on them leaving or being promoted so you can move up. Or you need to leave and go elsewhere. As an entrepreneur, the sky is the limit. There's no one above you to halt your progress. And if making a lot of money is important to you, there's no one stopping you from becoming the next entrepreneur billionaire. According to CNBC, the majority of the world's richest people are self-made. Their analysis of wealthy individuals worth at least 30 million said that 67.7% of them accrued their wealth as entrepreneurs. So not only can you create a consistent income to support the life you love, but you have the potential, if you want, to make a lot more. Myth number four, you have to be a top salesperson to succeed. A lot of people are scared off because as the boss of your company, you'll be responsible for making sure people are buying whatever it is you're selling, whether that's physical or virtual products, services, events or experiences. And look, that is true. When you leave working for an employer, you leave behind that steady flow of work that just comes your way as being part of a bigger project. You lose the marketing and PR departments and the business that they bring in. It's up to you to attract customers like clients for your consultancy, businesses that will hire you to work freelance for them or the customers to buy your product or turn up to your event or or venue. You do have to prepare yourself for that fact but it doesn't have to be as daunting as you think. I have to say this was something I was slightly worried about. I told myself that I'm not a natural salesperson. And to be honest, in the old school style of selling, I'm not. I remember my brief sojourn into agency recruitment back in the day before emails became so popular in sales. And you had to do a certain number of cold calls a week. You know, where you had a name of a potential decision maker in a company and you just had to call them out without any introduction and try and get them to work with your company. It was not something I enjoyed doing. It just seemed so icky and salesy and inauthentic and was really a numbers game. I can't remember the ratio, but it's something like you had to do 10 calls to get one person interested or something like that. Some of my colleagues had no problem with it. It was just not my thing, not my zone of genius, and it really put me off sales. So when it came to thinking about my own business, I have to say the sales aspect did throw me a bit. But what I learned was that the world of sales and marketing is far wider now. Yes, the classic cold call still exists, but thanks to social media, they're not completely cold because you can find out more about the person you're speaking to. Also, it doesn't have to be salesy or feel inauthentic. There are ways of attracting your dream clients by just being yourself. In fact, it's better that way. There are also so many ways of reaching your potential customers, like through social media, your website, getting in the media through PR opportunities, networking in groups and communities, or online advertising. Whatever your business or product, you can start a podcast or a blog to share with people what you do and let them see what it would be like working with you. And if all else fails, if you really can't stand sales or marketing, let me tell you a secret. You can hire people to help. Yes, as a boss, you can hire people. Now, I'm not talking full-time, but hire a freelancer for a few hours a week to help you on that aspect. Of course, it doesn't get you out of it entirely. As the boss, you'll have to show up and be seen. But a guiding hand can make all the difference. Check out fiverr.com. It's a fantastic resource to find someone to help with this or any aspect of your new business that is not something that you're fantastic at. 
So you don't need to be a top salesperson in the old school sense, but you do need to have one thing to be able to market and attract people to buy what you have to offer. And what's that? You guessed it, it's passion. (laughs) Being passionate about your business, believing in it and yourself really shines through and people see that authenticity and confidence and will be drawn to it. Okay, final myth. Myth number five, being an entrepreneur is lonely. When you're in the nine to five, yes, you have a ready-made community. You don't have to work hard at it because they're just there. And your need for friendship and people contact is fulfilled because you're surrounded by people every day or for whatever days you're in the office. Even if you feel different to them and they're not the kind of people you'd hang out with outside of work, there is a sense of connection because you have something in common. You're working for the company. So you can stop in the kitchen or by the water cooler and have a chat about the weekend, TV that week, what's in the news or the latest office gossip. And of course, in the UK, we love to chat about the weather. You also have people contact on your commute and in shops throughout the day as you tend to be out and about more often, unless you have a fully home-based role. But even then, you have team calls and one-to-one chats and meet up with your team on occasion. Whereas as a new business owner, certainly in the beginning, you spend a lot of time alone as you get it off the ground. Whether you have an online business, a bricks and mortar business, or starting up a new venture like an event venue in the country, or doing up a chateau in France, a lot of that time it's just you, or just you and your partner if you're starting up together. And at first, I have to admit, it can be a bit of a culture shock. Not having those people around to chat to and share things that only they will understand, you can miss it. But from what I soon realised was that although I'd left one social group behind, I gained a wonderful family of entrepreneurs who were only too happy to welcome me into their club. Once you find the right group for you, what I like to call your tribe, you have a ready-made team, not just from your local city or country, but all over the world. They're there for you when you have a problem that needs a solution, when you just need to vent, or when you want to celebrate success. With the group of entrepreneur peers I have, we have weekly accountability meetings to keep our plans on track, social drinks evenings, work sessions where we log in at the same time and work alongside one another for a couple of hours. And that's just the virtual meetups. There are scores of in-person meetup groups, seminars and conferences, all where you can meet like-minded people in the UK and globally. And a nice benefit is you can team up your trips to those events with seeing a bit of the world. So being an entrepreneur could be lonely, but only if you let it. If you don't reach out and build relationships within the entrepreneur community. It also depends on your need for connection. If you have a personality that likes to be alone, then you'll be fine. But I'd still encourage you to build your tribe of people who understand you, as you'll need support whatever your business or need for community. The beauty about the tribe you create as an entrepreneur is that you get to handpick them. I've met up with many groups of people that don't quite suit me, just like workplaces don't suit some people. There's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they've all been universally supporting and welcoming. But sometimes things just don't completely click. And that's fine because you get to move on to find the people that do match what you need. Whereas in the world of work, it's not quite as easy to move on if you find the people you're working alongside are not your kind of people. Even if you are in the position to hire a whole new team, There are always going to be people you inherit or people from other teams that you have to work at getting along with. 
But as an entrepreneur, you get to have the freedom to connect with only those who you want to hang out with. Now, I'm not trying to sugarcoat life as an entrepreneur. There are challenges for sure. And it's a very different life to that of an employee. But for me, different means better. I do need to say that being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Some people are more suited to working for someone else. And that's absolutely fine. We need those people. And there is room for everyone. The bottom line is, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you're thinking about escaping your day job to open a business of some kind. And what I'm saying to you is, if you have that urge, then follow it. Don't let myths or false beliefs hold you back. There are challenges, just like there are in the corporate world, but you can equip yourself to face them. You have to put the work in, but what you gain in return far outweighs it. And before long, you'll be looking back at the myths you believe with a smile as you start a day doing what you love and living the life that you once only had as a daydream. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it and found it useful, then don't keep it to yourself. Copy the link in the description and send it to someone you know who will benefit from it. Then follow or subscribe to the podcast yourself so you can listen in every week. Go to my website, nicolohara.com forward slash podcast to find the links to the platforms I'm on and to catch up with any episodes you've already missed. And remember, you deserve to live your passion, so go for it. This is your time. Thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes, follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google or Stitcher, or go to my website, nicolohara.com forward slash podcast.